Yeah, how cool is that? And uh, well done, Brittany. It's great to have you as part of our church family here at Door of Hope. Well, on Wednesday, December 9th, 1964, a jazz band entered a recording studio in New York City, uh, led by one of the greatest jazz musicians of all time and my favorite saxophonist, John Coltrane. And uh, they recorded an album. And they recorded it on one of these. Don't know if you uh, know what this is. Um, anyone maybe between the age of 25 and 35 might, know, might not know what this is. But this is a vinyl record. Vinyl record. This was the uh, primary way of listening to music other than the radio in the middle part of last century. Up, uh, and John, John Coltrane's album actually sold 500,000 copies in just three years and uh, very quickly became his uh, most beloved uh, piece of work, one of the greatest albums of all time. Uh, but the, the vinyl record was the primary way to listen to music uh, until about the 80s. Uh, in 1982, the CD was first commercially released. I wonder if anyone here remembers the introduction of a CD. Raise your hands. I know it's showing your age a little bit, but you remember? I wonder if you remember what your first ever CD was. Maybe turn to the person next to you, tell them the title. If you're joining us online, I want you to type it in the chat. What is the title or the artist of the first CD you ever owned? DC Talk. Yeah. I must admit, that was probably up there with my first one as well, I reckon. Yeah. Within five years, the CD had completely overtaken the vinyl record as the main way that people listened to music. Uh, by 1987, it was the best-selling platform. Now, last night, a, a group of our musicians here from Door of Hope, called the Ferguson Brothers, released their very own CD. And uh, this is a representation of uh, years of work and effort and creativity, and it is absolutely fantastic. And I want to give this to somebody, so uh, if you uh, don't have this CD already and you would like it, uh, come and get it off me. First person to get it wins. All right, well done. Very good. Roman <laughs> Awesome. Well, I encourage you, check out, check out their album on, uh, online, or, or you can buy a CD. But at the time, everyone thought, well, out with the old, in with the new, right? The CD was cheaper to produce, cheaper to buy, easier to use, it was far more durable, lasted a lot longer, and eventually it became more portable as well with the invention of the Discman. <laughs> did, everyone have a, did anyone have a Discman? Yeah, I had one with the, the shock, uh, G-Shock protection or whatever, <laughs> yeah. so it wouldn't just skip as soon as you took a step. Um, yeah, so good, so good. But. Um, there was kind of no real need anymore to keep those old vinyl records. Uh, that, you know, out with the old, in with the new. The turntables started showing up in second-hand stores everywhere and, and vinyl records kind of became a thing of the past. Then, in the early 2000s, the MP3 ushered in a new era for music. And all of a sudden, instead of having to buy a whole 
uh, album or an EP, you could just buy a single song if that's the one you wanted. Um, and if you kind of knew what you were doing and you're a bit sneaky and you weren't so ethically careful, you could probably get it for free if you wanted to as well. Uh, and you could store thousands of them on just a device in your pocket and you could listen to any of them at any time you wanted uh, for extremely cheap. And of course, we all thought, out with the old, in with the new, our CDs went sideways or, or down to the um, junk room downstairs, that's where all mine are. Uh, the CD players kind of get got turfed and uh, we're all listening to digital music. And now, Tay-Tay can have millions of people listening to her song in just a couple of hours and it kind of makes John Coltrane's 500,000 in three years start to look a little bit um, average. But that's kind of a thing with us humans, isn't it? We, we somehow have it in our heads that when something new comes out, it must be out with the old and in with the new. The new must be absolutely better than the old. And uh, not only are we willing to embrace the new, but we are all too willing to replace the old. And uh, while this is completely appropriate in many areas of our lives, when we have that attitude to the Bible, we actually really miss out. We really miss out. The Bible we have today is a collection of books. It's a, a library. The word Bible means books, like a library of books um, written by many authors uh, in many different genres over thousands of years, all put together. And uh, uh, we have them split into an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the Old Testament is primarily about God's uh, relationship with his people, the nation of Israel. And, and the New Testament is primarily about God's relationship with um, all people through Jesus Christ and uh, the church and the early church. But quite often, Christians today, including myself from time to time, whether deliberately or inadvertently, we say out with the old and in with the new when it comes to reading our Bibles. Maybe we have the idea that the Old Testament is just a bit too hard to understand. Maybe, uh, maybe we just think it's full of rules and regulations. Maybe, maybe we think it's simply just plain boring. Or maybe we think that because of Jesus, it's no longer relevant. But the question we're asking in this series is, is that what Jesus thought? Did you know uh, that about a tenth of our recorded words of Jesus in the <clears throat> Gospels, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, about a tenth of what Jesus said in those books are actually direct references to or, um, or even quotes of the Old Testament. He valued this collection of books. He used this collection of books. And he loved this collection of books and knew it deeply. So what was this collection of books? Well, it kind of is a bit simple to say, but of course the New Testament wasn't written yet when Jesus was here on earth. And so that collection of books, his Bible, was what we know now as the Old Testament. 
And we know from historical records that Jews at the time of Jesus had access to these scrolls of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that they called that the Torah. And they, they had um, the books of the prophets of Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, Jeremiah and Micah and Joel and, and others. And they had the history books, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Chronicles. And they had uh, poetry and Psalms. Uh, and they had other collections of books, including Job and, and, and the others. And essentially, their Bible, although it wasn't collected into one neat, one single book like we have it today, but their Bible, Jesus' Bible, was what we would now call our Old Testament. This was the Bible that Jesus loved. And we know that Jesus actually used his Bible both personally and publicly. Personally, like in Matthew chapter 4, where he is tempted by Satan in the desert, and, and he uses references to uh, Deuteronomy, actually, to kind of uh, bring himself strength and to fight back against the enemy. He uses scripture even as he is hanging on the cross. He quotes Psalms to, to help him describe his pain and his anguish in that moment. And he, he uses scripture publicly as well. Uh, like in the famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he, he refers a lot to the Ten Commandments and Exodus. Uh, when he's challenging maybe the status quo of the religious leaders at the time, uh, he might use um, quotes from the law books or quotes from the prophets. But Jesus said one thing in particular that uh, we're going to focus on over the next three weeks about his Bible that I think really reveals to us what it really meant to him and, and what it should mean to us. We find that right at the very start of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> Jesus says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Over the next three Sundays... Uh, we're going to journey through this passage, uh, and we're going to pull it apart a little bit, and we're going to look about uh, we're going to look at the Bible that Jesus loved. And uh, today, I want to just introduce us to the idea and look at the very first verse of that verse 17. I'll read it again for us. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfil. What does this mean? Jesus saw himself as the fulfillment of the Old Testament, not a replacement. Jesus is saying to his listeners in this moment on the mount 
that everyone who's listening, he's saying everything that you've read in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, everything that you've read in the prophets, everything that you've read in the law and the poetry and everything that you've read up until now is pointing to one place, to one moment in history, to one person in history, him. Everything that we've read so far, everything that the Jews at the time knew as their scripture, they knew to be true, was all pointing to Jesus. In another story, actually, uh, just after his baptism in Luke chapter 4, he, uh, Jesus enters a synagogue, which is kind of like a Jewish church building, and uh, the attendant there uh, hands him a scroll from the book of Isaiah to read out. And uh, Jesus reads it out, and then this happens. He said, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. You can kind of imagine that, can't you? You can really picture that. Then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the Old Testament, rather than being abolished or demolished, because uh, that word abolished in that, in that moment actually was also used to describe the demolition of buildings. And uh, so, so rather than the Old Testament being abolished, demolished, deconstructed, whatever you want to call it, Jesus came not to abolish, but to fulfill it. And so, really, the implication is that actually it potentially is even more important now than maybe ever was. Because without it, we can't truly appreciate the fulfillment of it. And we're going to look, about, look at what it is um, next week. So if the, the scripture of the Old Testament is, has to this point been God's story, then Jesus is saying that he is the climax of this story. He is the peak of this story. And the climax of any story is so much more powerful and impactful when we know the backstory, isn't it? Even if we already know what that climax is going to be, like we do in God's story, it becomes so much richer if we know the backstory. Now, little experiment, put your hand up if you've heard of the Titanic, okay? Right, very good, very good, most of you. Now, keep your hand up if you saw the movie, the Titanic, Titanic, the movie, all right, a lot of people, fair enough. Now, keep your hand up if you already knew what was going to happen to the boat when you went to see the movie Titanic. Yeah, okay, most of the people, that's good, that's good. Now, keep your hand up if you skipped the first three hours of the movie and only watched the bit of the boat sinking right at the end? Yeah, no, no, okay. <laughs> no one, right? Can you imagine how successful the movie Titanic would have been if it was just a, a, like a 10-minute scene of the, the ship sinking into the water? No, of course. Um, side note, I discovered this week, actually, that a few years ago, someone thought it would be a great idea to make a sequel and I, <laughs> I am not joking, this is a real movie, Titanic 2, and the, <laughs> the, the poster says, Titanic 2, the little subline says, 
a hundred years later, lightning strikes twice. <laughs> anyway, I'll just leave that with you. Um, not recommending it, just, yeah, some people have a lot of free time, I suppose. Um, what about Star Wars? What about Star Wars? Now, a little spoiler alert, if you have not seen Star Wars and you, you kind of um, don't know the, maybe the most quoted line um, in Star Wars... Uh, and you want to watch the movies in order to find that out, uh, and you don't want to spoil it, then just close your ears or mute the live stream right now just for 10 seconds. I'll wait, give two people a chance. Okay. Everyone knows that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's dad, right? Okay, all right. Good. <laughs> all right. Someone didn't, but I warned you. So, like, okay. <clears throat> all right, we'll let everyone unplug and unmute. That's great. What would happen if we skipped all the movies and all the moments of the story, all up, all up to that point, and just watched that moment? Okay? We, we would understand the facts of the moment, but I don't think we'd really appreciate the impact of the moment. We wouldn't grasp the emotion, the richness, the depth of meaning in that moment had we skipped the entire backstory. The story gives the climax so much more depth and meaning and richness. And we read these uh, or watch these stories through the lens of what we already know happens. We know that the ship hits an iceberg and sinks and lots of people die, right? And with this knowledge, we watch the backstory. Now, true or fictional, we still, we watch it, okay? And when we finally arrive at the culmination of all this backstory, we appreciate the emotion of that moment. We appreciate the impact of the event that we knew was going to happen all along. And when it comes to the Bible, I believe Jesus would not want us to constantly skip to the stories of his life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't think he would want us to have the letters of Paul in the New Testament just on repeat constantly. But Jesus would want us to fully grasp and understand the depth of meaning of his sacrifice by spending time in the backstory as well. The New Testament is incredibly important, and I'm not diminishing that by any means at all. But when we just focus on the new, and we say, out with the old and in with the new, we are missing a whole lot of meaning. We miss the richness and the fullness of the climax of the story that we now call the good news. The psalmist puts it, this way in Psalm 119, verse 32. I run the way of your commandments, for you enlarge my understanding. Jesus wants us to enlarge our understanding of who he is, of what he did for us, of what he's done, by opening our minds and our hearts to the scriptures of the Old Testament, the Bible that he loved. But unlike Jesus' disciples 2,000 years ago, we 
have the benefit of a new lens with which to read these scriptures. We know the climax already, right? We know what's going to happen at the most important, crucial, pivotal moment of this story. And we can truly appreciate the backstory knowing what it's all pointing towards. Now, another thing to consider, of course, is that the climax of a story isn't always the end, is it? Sometimes it happens elsewhere. And in God's story, this is the case. The climax, the coming of Jesus and His death and resurrection on the cross, was not the end. His story, God's story, continues to this day. And you and I actually get to be a part of that story. How cool is that? I think that's amazing. We are in the same story as Jesus Christ. That's so cool. And, and we look forward to the day where this story concludes and Jesus returns and He creates a new heaven and a new earth for His followers and those who have accepted Him to enjoy forever. But until then, if we truly want to appreciate what Jesus did for us on the cross, we have to experience the depth of impact, the kind of emotions, knowing the backstory, as, for instance, Jesus' first disciples. They could realize that depth because they they knew that backstory inside out. They knew it. They were waiting for it for thousands of years. And finally, here it was. must spend time discovering and rediscovering the backstory in the Old Testament. After all, it's not always the case, is it, that we have to throw out the old in order to embrace the new. We can actually have both. Did you know that in 2022, the vinyl record outsold the CD for the first time since 1987? Yeah. So it turns out that those of us who have embraced the new and love to just stream any song we want at any time, anywhere we want for very little cost, those of us, some of us who have done that also appreciate the quality and the depth of experience that comes with the old as well. This album called uh, A Love Supreme by John Coltrane. Uh, It was a tribute to the constant love of God in his life through his journey of addiction and rehabilitation. And it only just became certified platinum selling album just over a year ago, thanks to the resurgent popularity of the vinyl record. And next week, and uh, the week after, we're going to investigate in a bit more detail the Bible that Jesus loved. But for now, I'm going to leave us with a quote from the inside of this fantastic record. No matter what, it is with God. He is gracious and merciful. His way is in love, through which we all are. It is truly a love supreme.